Amen. Aren't you thankful that God is alive and He's on the throne? Amen. Who's glad that God is alive and He is on the throne? Yes. No place I'd rather be right now than with y'all worshiping the living, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, let's open our Bibles. I'm going to invite you to open to Mark chapter 4. Second Gospel of the New Testament, Mark chapter 4. And I'd like to re, uh, bring your attention. Last week, uh, we preached a message called Recall the Prophetic. We looked at what God has been saying to us as a church body this year. And many of you uh, indicated that you would like those prophetic words um, that we have printed uh, available to you. They are available to you. They, they're at the back table at the Connect and Guest table for you. They're actually on what we did. We doubled up and put them on our prayer focus sheet uh, for the month. And so they're on there and listed out for your benefit. So you can take them and uh, pray over them and call them into memory. And as you continue to believe the Lord, not only for your life, but also the life of our church and God's purpose that he has pronounced that he wants to accomplish. Amen. Mark chapter 4 is where you should be. I'm excited today. We're starting a brand new series today. It's called A New Season, A New Soul. And we have stepped across the threshold in the natural into a new season. Uh, we're in the fall season officially. I know it's not completely feels like it all the time, but uh, calendar-wise we have stepped across that line into a new season of fall. But also I believe that spiritually speaking, as a church we're entering into a new season we're entering into a new season and and I'm excited about that I believe God has some tremendous things to say to us in this series and what he wants to share with us about this as well as different things that he's wanting to accomplish in our life uh, in this hour today marks the, the beginning of a new season for for Haley and I this today marks the beginning of our eighth year uh, to be the lead pastors here at our church eight years ago. Uh, and, um, and we're still here, and we're still planning on being here, and so I'm excited. Uh, it's, it's a humbling feeling to think back over the last seven years of where God has brought us from and what He's done, and, and I, you know, I, I just... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, ex I'm excited about this new season that God is setting us up for. Um, you should be at Mark chapter 4. I want to draw your attention to the screen for our kind of the series where this whole message series kind of comes from. These thoughts that Paul speaks. It's going to be on the screen with us. 2 Corinthians, looking at chapter 5 and chapter 6, a few verses out of each one. Verse 17 the Apostle Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Then we'll skip over to verse 3 of chapter 6. He says, we live this new life in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, 
We show that we are true ministers of God. We wait, we patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God. Catch this. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. Whether they slander us or they praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. And finally, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Let's pray. God Almighty, our Father, we come to you this morning recognizing you are the God of all. You sit on your throne, not distant from us, not removed from us, but eager to be in our life if we would just open our door. The same door that you knock on. And oftentimes we ignore. But today I pray that we will open it. And I pray we will even open those secret doors into the secret chambers of our heart this day. Down deep in our soul where we have closed people off. Where we have closed you off. Where we've just tried to push it and submerge it. But you're not interested in moving into our house to just redecorate it. No, your plan is to completely overhaul it, as Scripture says, making our life new. This morning, from your word, speak to us. Help us hear, understand, willingly receive, and to go forth and live in the power of and the grace that you supply. Guide my thoughts now as I speak. Guard my heart, Lord, as I preach. Govern my words as I express what you would say to us today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Thank you, Jake. Man, God's presence and power is on you today, brother, in a special way. In a special way. That voice of yours, Becky, it shatters chains in this atmosphere. Aren't you grateful for these people? So who else was up there? Jordan. Don't think you're not important, man. 
all right? Don't think you're not valuable. Wes, you could outplay anybody, but thank you for being sincere in your worship. Amen? There's a story. There's a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Anybody ever heard of Dallas Willard? That means I need to talk about Dallas Willard a little bit more in our church. Well, I kind of happened to stumble upon some of his writings. He's, a, he's no longer alive. He died about two years ago. But anything you come across with Dallas Willard on it, it'll, it'll be worth your investment. He, he writes a, a little story about a tiny child who used to creep into his father's bedroom at night. In the dark, knowing that his father was asleep, he would walk into his room and slip into bed. And just knowing that his father was present was enough. It was enough for him to take away his sense of aloneness. And he would ask, Father, is your face turned toward me? And his father would reply, yes, my son, my face is turn toward you and then only could that child go to sleep we all in our lives in our souls we want to know that our heavenly father's face is turned toward us and you know that feeling you know that deep sense of faith that that springs up in your spirit when you know that Without a doubt, God's face is turned toward me, and you have peace. Chaos could be going on around you, but peace is reigning on the inside of you. How can the Apostle Paul say such words like this in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5 and 6 that we just read? How could he write such words of expressing all of the difficulties he had endured? All of the difficulties that he had gone through, the without food, beaten, shipwrecked, gone without sleep. All of these things, these atrocities that were committed against him, how could he write about such things and still have it in his heart to not curse and be angry at them, to not be vengeful, to not be resentful, to not be bitter? at the things that people did to him. How can he write such things and express such things to God's people and show that, hey, in my heart, though I'm hurt, yet I don't hold things against people? How can he write and express and live in such a way? How can he have such a positive outlook and vision about life knowing that all of these things have been dead set against him, yet he doesn't hold it against anybody. The answer that I believe to that is this, is that Paul had learned to develop a happy, healthy soul. This series is titled A New, a new Season, A New Soul, and today's message I've titled, What is the Condition of Our Soul? What is the Condition of of our soul. Dallas Willard also writes this. He said, we all want to know that our soul is not alone, but that our heavenly Father's face is turned toward us. The most important thing in our life is not what you do, it is who you become. That's what you will take with you into eternity. 
You see, the thing about our life is this. We have an outer life and we have an inner life. Our outer life, that, that, that's, our, that's our public, visible part that everybody sees. That's who we see in the mirror. That's what people see when they look at us, when people view us. That's our accomplishments. It's, it's all of these types of things. It's our work. It's our reputation. It's all of the visible part of us. But then we also have an inner life. We have an inner part of us that's called the inner life that people don't see. People, people can't take note of the inner life. It's, it's those secret thoughts. It's those hopes. It's those longings. It's those desires. It's those dreams, really, that, 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 that we wake up with, we go to bed with, that we, that we get alone with and we're faced with it's the inner part of us that nobody else can see and the question is this is it's this question is asked in many different ways and I'll, I'll phrase it this way how can we have an inner life that is flourishing no matter what our outer life is experiencing that's that's the age-old question. How can I be happy? How can I be fulfilled? How can I be content? How can I just be satisfied internally no matter what is going on all around me and happening to me? Right? That's a question we all ask. We might ask it in different shapes and forms, but the essence of it, the centrality of it, is that right there, the internal part. How can it be met? How can it be satisfied with all of the external things? It's a question we all ask. The answer is this. Our souls, our souls, the deepest part of us, who we really are, the, the part of us that never dies, our bodies will perish, but our souls will go on forever. Just had the honor and the privilege of doing the funeral for a dear brother who was a longtime member of our church, Brother Wendell Holder. A lot of you were at his viewing yesterday. It meant a lot to the family. It's good to see you there. But had that privilege and honor of doing that. His body, I told the family, his body, you won't walk away with his hand, but what you can walk away is his memories. Are his memories. So how can we inside be content, fulfilled, satisfied, regardless of the external? And it is this, our souls must be healthy. You know, we often pay a whole lot of attention to our bodies, our outer life, but we don't often pay that much attention to our inner life, our soul. It's not enough just to profess faith in Jesus Christ and carry on in life as if that's the only thing to this whole Christian faith. There's 66 books here that talk about living, that show us many examples, that show us many ways, many experiences of how people encountered the living God and how their life changed from the inside out. See, if you're still trying to change your life from the outside in, you're going about it backwards and you're going to always be in a, a, a place of exhaustion never reaching true fulfillment 
because it never happens from the outside in. You don't get people to love you, like you, accept you, and all that based on the outside. No, it all happens from the inside. The Lord says, I look at the heart. Amen? See, if our, if our souls are healthy, then no external circumstance can destroy our life. But if our souls are unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem our life either. It's like what Jesus said in the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, he said this. He said, basically, my paraphrase is this, is that if you are wise, if you are healthy in your soul, you will listen to what I have to say, my words, and you will build your life on what I have to tell you. And when the storms of life come, they'll beat against your life, they'll beat against your house, but your life will not collapse. Why? Because your soul is healthy. But on the other hand, if your soul is unhealthy, you're unwise, and you build your life and your house on the sand, the storms of life will come at you as well, and your life will collapse. It will fall apart. See, the seed, look at the screen, the seed of God's Word growing. It'll get there. It'll get there. Oh, where'd he go? Eric, you're playing two hands today. The seed of God's Word growing and developing in our life is contingent upon the condition of our soul. The condition of our soul is what determines what comes out of our life, the soil of our life. So let's look at this. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. Let's look at this. Look at your Bibles, Mark chapter 4. You guys with me? The question is, what's the condition of our soul? We're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus reads. That he, that he shares. There's a farmer, there's seed, and there's field. There's a farmer, there's seed, and there's field. The farmer and the seed are constant. The, the field, the soil, is the variable. The farmer and the seed don't change. The farmer's generous and scatters the seed everywhere. He's not selective. He scatters it everywhere, as we'll read. But the soil, the, the field, the soil is also known as the soul, it is variable. It changes. So depending on the condition of the soil will determine the condition of what is produced or not produced. You follow me? Let's look at this. Mark 4, verse 3, Jesus says this. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. What we're going to do, we're going to walk through about seven, eight verses here. We're going to look at the four conditions that our souls could be in. The first one is this. He scattered seeds. Some fell on a footpath, and the birds, they came, and they ate it. The footpath is also what we'll call the hardened soul. The hardened soul. You see, the footpath is hard, and it's dry. It's where the farmer walks. It's where the animals walk through, and so... After a while, you know, if you've got carpet in your house and you walk the same path always from your living room to your bedroom, you've got a path carved in. If you've lived there for oh, any number of years or what have you, you'll start to see a path start to get made there. You know that's where you travel a lot. And so that gets harder. The cushion, the, the padding starts to deplete and, and, and go down, and therefore you start to see this path. That's what it was like. He, the farmer took this seed and he scattered it, and some landed on the footpath, the hardened soil. You see, and that's where the seeds, they didn't have a chance. 
And the thing is, our souls sometimes can get that way. Our souls can get hard. Our souls can get hard. You see, souls get hard from a lot of different things. I think souls get hard from hurt through disappointment. Anybody ever been disappointed? If you don't raise your hand, you're just not telling the truth. Tell the truth, shame the devil. That's how it works. Tell the truth, shame the devil. See, your souls get hard from hurt through disappointment, and we start to form this protective shell because of hurt through disappointments. And we have this protective shell. We hardened souls get cynical, judgmental, get critical, start to point out things wrong in everybody else without taking note of what's actually going on inside of them. A hardened soul gets suspicious. Well, hey, what are they up to? What are those two over there talking about? I know they're talking about me. I like look at look at them, look at me. Look at them, look at them, look at them, look at me. They're looking over here and they're gonna turn back. Look what are what are they saying about me? And lo and behold, all they're talking about is what they ate last night. Or what movie they saw. Or girl, look at that dress she's wearing. I want that. Or whatever. But a hardened soul can get suspicious of people. And so we start to not see things right. We start to think things that are not right. And we start to drive ourselves crazy. See, the thing about it is this world, this world encourages us to think of ourselves more like a victim and not as a human. Everybody cries foul in this world. It's everybody else's fault. Oh, poor thing, poor thing, poor thing. You don't need to take responsibility. You don't need to stand up. You don't need to change. It's not your fault that everybody did that to you. You just need to go ahead and ride on that, ride that, pay, ride that wave on out the rest of your life. That's not the way Jesus calls us to live our life. You see, we can get caught up in the hurt that we have received, not understanding how much hurt we are actually inflicting on other people when we only think about what has been done to us. And so many people, so many people in the world, so many people in the church live in this place because they refuse to let go of hurt and disappointment. You see, the thing about it is the longer we stay hurt, the more we neglect our souls. The more harder, the more that the shell gets thicker, the more protective we get, the more distrusting we are of other people. I was talking to a brother in our church about a week or so ago, and we're talking, and his father, no longer in church. Years ago, he said, yeah, my dad got hurt in church one day. Not because he, like, tripped and fell, because somebody, an injustice was committed against him, and he never went back to church. All these years, because of something that happened to them. I'm not saying it was fair or unfair or just or what have you. It's a shame. Shame that that happened, but it's also a shame that there was never a bridge built to try to make things right. You see, under, under the hardness of our, of our shell, sometimes there lies fear. Fear. We, we, we fear because we don't, we're, we're afraid that, well, if I kind of step out a little bit, I'm afraid I might get hurt again. I'm afraid of 
Well, I'm afraid of being rejected. Afraid. Well, what will people think, man? I'm afraid of looking foolish in front of others. If I actually go back and humble myself and apologize, man, they're going to think I'm weak. They're going to they're gonna think, man, I don't, I'm not a man. But see, the opposite is really true. It's the opposite of that that, that, that shows the significance of your manhood or womanhood, really Christ-likeness that happens. Or fear of broken pride. See, under hardness is this fear that, man, our pride is going to be exposed and, and it's just going to be demolished and, and everybody's going to think all these different things about me. Fear is underneath a hard soul. But here's the thing about it. It only takes just a little, just, just a, a, a little softness in the soul to give that seed a chance to grow. See, it's not it all isn't going to just at the snap of a finger it all isn't just going to vanish away. Just just a little softness. Just open up just a tad, just a little softness and things start to change. Let's look at the next thing. Verse 5 and 6 says, "Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock." The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. The rocky soil, the underlying rock in this soil is also what we call the shallow soil. There's a hard soil, but there's also a shallow soul. The underlying rock caused the soil to be too shallow to allow the seed to really take root and set up some deep roots. All right. He's got mama. It's okay. It's all right. You see, souls get that way. Sometimes souls get shallow. I don't think we always mean to, but souls get shallow. You know, the desperate need of a soul is, the desperate need of a soul is not more intelligence, it's not more knowledge, it's not more talent, it's not more excitement. No, you see, the desperate need of all of our souls is this, is it's depth. Souls are deep. It's the deepest part of who we are, yet it cannot be measured. Our souls don't want to be shallow. They really cry out for depth. You see, the, the psalmist said that as the deer longs and pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, God. There's a longing in all of our lives, in our souls, to have more of God, the deep things of God, greater things of God. But how many times do we leave the shallow end and truly go into the deep end. You see, when you leave the shallow end to go to the deep end, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that you can't touch anymore. You're kind of at the mercy of the water. In our case, spiritually, you're at the mercy of where God wants to take you and what God wants to do with you and how God wants to form you, how God wants to change you. You see, Oftentimes we live, we, we live too, too many days in the shallow end until something like a crisis happens or something like a, 
a birth happens or, or a funeral happens or some devastating thing happens and you well, those are the things that begin to trigger the depth of our soul because we start to realize what we're really made of we start to realize what we're really formed of we start to realize really the depth of our faith how deep or how shallow how wide is our faith as well as how deep and wide is God's love you see, those bad things that happen to good people, it's hard to, we can't explain that mess. We we'll never will be able to figure it out, but I do know this, that our God is a God of redemption. That though bad happens, He has a way of turning it into good. It triggers our souls to turn to Him and to open to Him and let Him in and change us where we might have pent up bitterness and frustration and anger and angst against anybody or anyone. God will take a bad thing and turn it around for good if we'll let Him. And He'll flood our soul with forgiveness and mercy and a loving refreshness that only He can spring forth. The thing is, this world is good at keeping our souls superficial. Everything is a facade. Everything is a show. Everything is a concert. Everything is an act. Everything is about the external. That's tough to deal with in our day and time when we're exposed to so many things from so many angles, right? I was caught a glimpse of the Pope's visit here. He's in America right now, in case you didn't know that. And he was in Philadelphia last night, and they had this festival for families. I don't really get what it was about, but um, the nonetheless, it shows the Pope on stage. They had this elaborate stage, this elaborate setup, and all these famous people all around, and and all these things are going on, and, and the Pope is just, he, he, he's sitting in his chair, and I don't know exactly what the technical term is for that that he sits on, but um, he's sitting there, and he's just there. And all these movements and the changes of light and mood and atmosphere is all going on around him. And I told Haley, I said, I don't think he's really impressed. And you know what? The world spends billions to try to impress us, and they spend billions to try to keep our souls shallow and superficial. Because, listen, nobody really wants to get down to the deep part of life. We tend to run from it, right? We tend to shy away from it. You know when, when, when something pricks uh, and, 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 and hits the heartstring of your heart. You know when that happens and sometimes we either give way to it and we feel a whole lot better because of it or we shut it off and try to run away from it, right? And usually we end up hard and we end up shallow. But here's the thing. Here, listen to this and just listen to this right here. Deep souls, though. Deep souls have the capacity to understand and empathize with other people. Deep souls have the capacity to understand and empathize with other people. It doesn't mean you get it right all the time. It doesn't mean you, you acknowledge everything all the time, but it means you have the capacity. A deep soul has the capacity to try to understand where somebody else is coming from. What's it like in their shoes? See, it's easy to stand over here and look at somebody over there and be like, well, if they would just do this and that and this and that, their life wouldn't be in a mess. 
But what is it really like in their shoes? Maybe they don't understand how to do this or that or this or that. They just might need you to just come over and say, Hey, I acknowledge you. I know you're hurting. I know things don't make sense to you right now. But believe me, put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll show you. He'll pull you out, and he'll show you how to navigate life. See, that's the beginning steps and stages of a healthy soul. And a deep soul, a deep soul can tries to understand where people are coming from. They're not so quick to make knee-jerk, jerky comments. You know what I'm saying? Because let's face it, nobody really knows what you really go through. So if that's the case for you, think about the case for somebody else. Right? It's just something we got to work on. It's just something that the Lord wants to work out in our life. Deep souls, they live in an awareness of eternity and not just for today. Souls are going to live forever, friend. Souls are going to go on forever. Our souls are going to go on forever. But here's the thing. They're either going to live forever in peace and harmony and celebration and goodness with Jesus in heaven, or our souls are going to live forever in a forever-ending torment called hell. And see, we base eternity based on our, our, our physical pleasure of this present moment. All of us are good at that. We don't really look at life through the lens of God and see that it is an eternal thing. We are eternal beings. See, but a deep soul begins to understand and live life, charts life, plans life, looks at life, has a perspective about life that, hey, what I do today will affect tomorrow, and it will affect those coming behind me. So therefore, I must change the way I live and start to pattern my life after what is right and holy and good in God's sight. Because I sure don't want to spend eternity suffering. I want to spend eternity forever with Jesus, and I want everybody else coming up behind me See, that was the good thing about the funeral I got to preach yesterday is I know Brother Wendell's in heaven. He joined his wife, Sybil, two years ago who passed away. And those family members who were crying, they, they, might have, they were hurting, they were grieving, but they also had comfort. The, the daughter told me, hey, I'm happy because Daddy is in heaven now, no longer hurting, no longer suffering. And he is gonna, he's waiting for when we get there and we're going to get to join him one day. See, that's the great thing about putting faith in Jesus is if we, we live with eternity in mind, then we can help those coming up behind us to live with eternity in mind so that as we enjoy the life and have the life, regardless of the ups and the downs and the ins and outs and the bad and the ugly on, on this planet, we will not have that in the other side. He says, I wipe away every tear. I take away all the sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more death. There's no more corruption. And now you will forever join those who are there waiting for you to come. And you will be there waiting for those coming behind you. But see, we got to live on this planet still. We still got some years to live. We still got some days ahead of us. We still got some purpose in God to live. So therefore, we don't need to live with a superficial, shallow soul. We need to have some depth to us. And understand that a deep soul lives connected to God. A deep soul lives connected to God. A disconnected soul lives in an abyss. You know what an abyss is? It's a never-ending drop-off of torture. But if you live connected to God, you won't live that way.
See, it only takes just a little depth to give that seed a little bit of room to grow. So let's look at the third thing real quick. Verse 7 says, other seed. You see, other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. The thorny soil, the thorny ground, also what we'll call the cluttered soul. The cluttered soul. You see, the thorny ground is the condition that Jesus goes on to talk about later on in this parable. He has an explanation. He has a come-to-Jesus moment with his disciples, and he tries to explain to them what he's just been talking about, and he tells them this thorny soul, that's the condition that crowds out your soul, that crowds out your life with the worries of life, with the lure of wealth, and with the desire for all these other things that this world has to offer you. He said it completely overhauls and takes up every inch of space in your thinking and in your life and really in your soul. It just completely consumes you. You know, souls get that way sometimes. Souls get cluttered. Don't admit it today, but if, you're, if you like to keep things around for years and years and years and years, that's fine, nothing wrong with that. It's just that here's the thing. Our souls tend to get that way too. Our souls tend to get cluttered. Our souls get the tend to get all stored up with all kinds of things over the course of life. Someone once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. And we confuse busyness with life a lot of times. Here's the thing. A busy soul is a shriveled soul. A busy soul is a shriveled soul. Tired, wiped out, depleted, not able to be of any help to anybody else. Why? Because it's worn flat out busy a busy soul is a cluttered soul but see that's a dangerous thing it's because it, it doesn't happen so fast it happens subtle it happens little by little day by day week by week month by month year by year our stole our souls begin to stockpile stuff that's not good for us it says this kind of soul it chokes out what God really wants to bring up. You see, the thing about a busy soul and a cluttered soul is it gets attached to the wrong things. Anybody ever been attached to the wrong thing in your life? You don't have to raise your hand, but it happens. We get attached to the wrong person. We get attached to the wrong job. We get attached to the wrong whatever. And we know it's not good for us. We know it's not good for us. See, cluttered souls and busy souls get attached to the wrong things. We want more money. We want more power. We want more prestige. We want more, more sex and, re, and relationships outside of the context of marriage. We want more things in an unhealthy way. And all it does is clutter our souls up. And we don't really know who we are. We're trying to find ourselves. We're trying to find happiness and contentment and joy and satisfaction. And all the while, we're never finding it because all that stuff we put into our soul, it, it, it runs 
out just as quick as we put it in there. Therefore, that's why we're looking and searching and trying to have somebody else and have this and have that and have more of this and have more of that. Well, if they got it and they look happy, then surely I need it and I'll be happy. But what we don't know is the argument and the fighting and the discontentment and the bitterness and the anger and the rage and all the other junk that's going on inside the house of the Joneses. Meanwhile, in the house of here, we don't really get why they on the outside, they look good and happy and content because they driving a Mercedes. And their kids are in private school. But we don't know all the mess that they talk about and argue over and are enraged over every day. You see, we can't compare ourselves with other people. Not only is that a shallow soul, but that is a cluttered soul because what we're doing, we're picking up everything that everybody else has, thinking makes them happy. It will make me happy. A cluttered soul gets attached to the wrong stuff. You see, the thing about it, we mistake clutter for life. If we were really not as busy as we think we are and should be, do you think we would actually be important anymore? If we cease to be busy, do you think we would actually matter? Jake, help me close out, buddy. Dallas Willard said this, he said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. We must ruthlessly try to eliminate hurry from our life. Some of you are thinking, would you hurry up and finish? <laughs> see, you, don't, you didn't realize I can see all the little things above your head. The Lord's given me a special discerning thing, and I can read all. Really, you like steak and shrimp. I see it. It's right there. I see that. You're thinking about that right now. <laughs> Friends, I know we live in a fast-paced society. And everything moves at sonic speed. I mean, can't move at the speed of light, but we sure as heck try to keep up with that. I know with, the, with technology and all these things that are available to us, everything we want everything yesterday. We find ourselves in a hurry. The Holy Spirit's really been getting on me about that the last couple of weeks, telling me just to kind of slow my roll. And you see, the thing is, I, I was discovering that the more I try to fit into my day and the more things I tried to do and accomplish, by the end of the day, when it was time to go home and be with my kids and my family, I got short-fused because I try to do way too much and try to just zip by it and go through it and knock out a hundred things. And it's no overnight fix, but the thing about it is the Lord has really chastised me in this is, hey, try to eliminate hurry from your life. It doesn't mean I don't want you to be fruitful and I don't want you to be productive because Jesus tells us to be that. But it takes time for fruit to grow. 
And when it gives time to grow and you, and you harvest it in its right time, in its right season, then that tastes good. I don't know about you, but I don't like getting a tomato that hasn't fully ripened yet and fully gotten that good juiciness to it. It just doesn't have the right color, and I cut it open. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be good, and it tastes awful. It was hurried along. It was put out to be sold way too fast. It wasn't ready for the picket. And you see, there are, there are things in all of our lives where the Lord wants to use us to be of good to other people. But we get way too hurried. We try to get here and there, here and there, fast as we can, and do as many things as we can. And here's what happens, at least in my, in my, uh, my line, is this, is I often walk past somebody too fast to acknowledge that they are meaningful. And I know we have a schedule, and we have a boss, and we have people we have to connect to and be accountable to, and we, have, we can't just lollygag around. I'm not s suggesting that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, hey, I think our souls sometimes just get w way too cluttered. We try to fit way too much in. But it just takes a little bit of space. And the last, verse 8, Still other seeds fell on the fertile soil. They sprouted, they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Wow. The fertile soil is what we'll call the healthy soul. The healthy soul you see, this fertile soil caused the seed to grow, to sprout, and produce a harvest 30, 60, 100 times as much as we planted. What does that tell us is that, hey, God is wanting to bring about more than we could ever imagine in our life. If we would just let the Holy Spirit truly move and work in our life and us not try to flesh it all out just on our own accord, on our own ability, it doesn't mean we don't have responsibility or that we're not able. But if we would just make ourselves available to the Lord every day and let the Holy Spirit lead us, guide us, work in us, He'll produce more out of our day, out of our life, than we could ever try to do. Why? Because it's no longer hard, it's no longer shallow, and it's no longer cluttered. It's God working this new thing out in us. Look at the screen and look at these words. It says, I have been waiting. I am shy, terribly shy, even in the most boisterous person. I can only whisper, never shout. You may never even notice me, but I am here waiting. I do not lie on the surface. If you look and listen, patiently, you will know. I speak through your confusion, through your wanting, through your hurt. When you stammer, when you say what you did not mean to say, it was I. When you watch a sunset or hear a child laugh or listen to a piece of music that causes you to suddenly become choked up, it is I that causes your eye to fill. When you are addicted, it is I that is chained. 
But when the sun burns up and the universe melts away, I will be there. I will not be ignored. I can be wounded, lost, repulsed, or redeemed. Your circumstances actually matter far less to your happiness than you think. It is my health that makes your life heaven or hell. I am your soul. I am here. It's out of a book. Give credit to the writer John Ortberg. Pastor. Let's stand to our feet. How can we have an inner life that is flourishing no matter what our outward life is experiencing? Well, it depends on the condition of our soul. Ask yourself today, what is the condition of your soul? Perhaps you're going to find that you're going to have a little bit of heart, a little bit of shallow, and a little bit of clutter. But the hope and the, the aim in God's eyes is that hopefully over time there will be a whole lot more healthy than hard and shallow and clutter. You see, a, a soul can be healthy, but it, 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 needs, it needs softness. It needs softness. A soul needs some depth, and a soul needs some space. So as we end today, think about this. You tired? Are you tired of your hardness? Just let Jesus touch you and make you soft again. There's no magic pill. It's just open yourself to Him and ask Him. Are you tired of living superficial in certain areas of your life. It's never going to amount to anything. Dive into Jesus today. He'll take you places you never thought you would be able to go. He'll do things with you you never thought were able. He's that, he's that way. Are you tired of running around crazy? Head spinning? just exhausted out of gas feeling down how about you just see striving and know that he is God today I need you more I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words could say. I need you more than ever before. I need you more. 
I need you, Lord. Sing that again. I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you more. More than words could say, I need you more. More than ever before, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Sing that again. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words could say. I need you more, more than ever before. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Come on, if you need him today, lift your hands. Cry out to the I Lord. I need you more. Tired of a hard oh, heart? More than yesterday, I need you more. Tired of the shallow spaces? Oh, more than words could say, I need you more. Need more room and space? More than ever before. He I hears need you right you, now. Lord. He knows I you right now. You, Lord. Oh, Come on, tell him. I need you more. Between you and God. Between your soul and God's soul. Between you, you and him. More. Oh, more than words could say. Let him work I in you right now. You more. more than ever before. Let him wash I away you, the clutter. I need you, Let him Lord. slow you down. Lord, I need you more. Let him soften you. More than yesterday, I need you more. Oh, more than words could say, I need you more. Oh, more than ever before, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, just a little. I need you more. Oh, more than yesterday, I need you more. Oh, more than words could say, I need you more. Oh, more than ever before, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't it good just to pause? Just to wait on the Lord. And he says, you will renew your strength. You'll be able to run and you'll be able to walk. You'll be able to go forward in the manner and the pace without that heaviness that you were really intended to live with. We all get a lot on us. We all put a lot on us, and we all have expectations of everybody else. But let's tend to our souls first. Let's quit trying to get into everybody else's soul business, and let's just stick to ours. And we'll discover the more we just tend to our own garden, 
people will be attracted to it. They'll be like, what are you growing? What do you got? That sure looks nice and pretty. Mm, I can't wait to have some of that. See, God will grow in you. He'll make life come about more than you ever thought was possible. Amen? I'm going to pronounce a blessing over you today. Been doing this now since May. And every time I read it and every time I pronounce it, God always just has this, just a little acknowledgement, hey, my hand is on you. My hand is with you. And as always, if you would like prayer for anything, as we dismiss, please come forward to the front. And if you didn't get a chance to come partake of the Lord's table, you can always do that as well. We'll linger for a few minutes for prayer and communion if you'd like that. The Lord bless you by constantly bringing good into your life. Oh, the Lord keep you so that the care and the sacrificial love of Christ poured out on the cross should guard all that is sacred and precious about you. Oh, may the Lord make His face to shine upon you this week and be gracious to you by having His glory always shine on your life. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you by letting you know always that He is fully present in your life and He is self-giving to you. And the Lord, may the Lord give you peace, a peace that is unthreatened and undisturbed. Oh, and as you go, may your soul feel its worth in the significance of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Be blessed. See you this week.